Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we just sang, only the splendor of light hides the holiness of our God, and that uh, drives us to confess our sins. We have the uh, scripture printed in the bulletin, if you've got that up on your phones this morning. Romans 3, verse 19, hear God's word. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Again, the law of God makes us aware that we are sinners, that we have offended our creator, that we've gone against his will and his design for our lives. We need to set aside all excuses and explanations and instead come to the Lord and say, you are right, you are holy and good. I've been in the wrong. I have been away from you. We cannot justify ourselves before God with anything we have done. Instead, we look to what Jesus Christ has done for us. So as we look to him, let's confess our sins before Almighty God and invite to kneel as we pray. experience, but every now and then there's kind of a word of the day. Uh, we've had that in the past. Uh, one uh, time a few years back, uh, our word of the day that turned into the word of the week, kind of, was uh, taco. We were having t- taco night once a week kind of thing, and one of those taco nights got, got especially messy for some reason, and it was just it was especially juicy meat or something. I forget what it was, but, but it was a mess, and so we're trying to eat these things and it's, oh, this is a taco, and, and taco became our word for mess. So every time we spilled something in the next week, oh, there went the taco again. It was always a taco. In our text this morning, the Samaritan woman is a taco. She is a mess. Uh, But Jesus provides for our needs. Uh, The picture scripture gives us here is water for dry souls. Uh, So uh, take whatever picture you like. If if you need the water uh, getting a drink kind of picture or uh, cleaning up our mess that we've made, Jesus gives us water for our thirsty souls. That's the point here today. We're going to start with Jesus' need and then go to the woman's need and then his explanation of uh, what it is uh, that he gives. I don't know if you have uh, those sermon notes there, but I'll try to walk that through if you don't. So Jesus' need first, uh, which may strike you as odd, Jesus' need. It's the woman whose need jumps out at us in the text here, but Jesus has a need as well. Uh, First of all, we see in the first couple of verses, this is just an aside, that Jesus uh, hears the the Pharisees know he's popular, right? And so he leaves Judea. He goes back north to Galilee. Uh, There were times when Jesus did that. He avoided uh, the the Judean Jews uh, because they were more hostile and 
when they realized his popularity, they often wanted to do something about that, and it wasn't yet his time. So Jesus would go back to Galilee further away for some extra space and ministry. So Jesus does that here. And he, verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Here's one of Jesus' needs. He, he had to walk, and this is, I forget the exact distance, 50 miles, 40, 70, something like that. It's quite a long distance from Judea to Galilee. And Jesus isn't transporting miraculously from place to place. He's walking this whole distance. So when it says he went from Judea to Galilee, uh, that's a good three, four-day trip uh, on foot. So Jesus uh, is tired. He's thirsty. We see that in verse 6. He sits down, wearied as he was from his journey. Jesus didn't do miracles for his personal convenience. Uh, When he did miracles, it was uh, to reveal the glory of God. So uh, this text, uh, chapter 4, it doesn't start with theology. It it starts with Jesus' own need, which is interesting. Uh, And sometimes we want to put ourselves in the place of Jesus in this story. That's not uh, wrong, but we also will need to put ourselves in the place of the woman, as we'll see later. If you start with Jesus, if you consider, uh, well, sometimes I run into people like the woman at the well, and I need to be able to speak the gospel to them. That's one proper way to uh, understand this story. Well, if we look at it that way, have you been in this position uh, where uh, you're weary, you're tired, you, 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 you need a drink, or there's some, some need that you have. You break down on the side of the road, and you need a, need a lift to the, to the repair shop, whatever it is. Uh, we're usually afraid of being in this situation, because we want people to see that we have the answer to life, right? We have the gospel. We have the truth. There are unbelievers out there who need to know the truth, and we want to bring that to them. But it turns out uh, we shouldn't be afraid of that. Jesus himself is in this same situation. The way to get them to see the truth isn't to show them your perfect life, that you have no needs, that you're just fine, everything's great. No, it's to show them that you are a taco, too, sometimes. You're a mess as well. Now, Jesus, of course, wasn't a sinful mess, but he does give this woman a way to meet his need first. And so he says, give me a drink. That's an important uh, attitude adjustment for us, I think, sometimes. We're too often in an attitude toward our culture, uh, toward other people, of admonition instead of mission. Right? We have the answers. We have the worldview. And they need to get with the program. And if we could just reach them and teach them and set them straight, then, then life would be great. Well, yes, but notice the process that leads up to someone being teachable here is, is a long one. In this encounter, you've got verses 7 through 16, long chunk of, of Scripture, until we get to the teaching and the admonition. Some are in the habit of calling that pre-evangelism, uh, whatever you want to label it. Uh, we need to give time and attention and patience in God's providence, uh, to that phase of our uh, relationship with other people. So Jesus has this need, and he's not afraid to to ask this woman for a drink. Uh, That is a pretty big deal, uh, having a relationship between a Jew and a Samaritan, a Jew even talking to a Samaritan. Part of the point in verse 4 of saying he had to pass through Samaria is is like, oh, that was the Jew's attitude. Oh, if, if you're from Galilee and you've got to go to Judea for uh, the, the feast three times a year, oh, that's a, that's a bummer. You've got to go through Samaria because you've got to deal with those people, right? So the Samaritans were very looked down upon. They did have their theology off kilter uh, in a major way. 
Uh, and so they had to deal uh, with these Samaritans. Well, Jesus uh, doesn't have that had-to kind of attitude. He's very willing to speak with this woman. She's a woman as well. That's another uh, cultural barrier there. So uh, Jesus has a need uh, physically. He, he needs a drink. He's tired. Uh, of course, his greater need is that he is on mission to reveal himself and to bring people to faith in him. That's what he comes around to in the rest of this text. But let's look at the woman now uh, in uh, verse 7, 8, 9. And notice the contrast with chapter 3. John does this uh, very well. You need to to, uh, look at the chapters all in a connected way. Uh, Often, John, we we preach through John, and it's very easy to separate it up into into chapter chunks. And so we look at them individually, right? We looked at Nicodemus last time, and now we're looking at the woman at the well. Two different things, right? Well, yes, but related. Uh, Different, but see them together because there's an awful lot of interest there. Uh, There's a huge contrast between this woman and Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at night. This woman comes at at midday, at noon. She's a woman. He's a man. Uh, He is socially in. He's connected. He's a ruler. He's, one of the, he's a senator. He's on the Sanhedrin. This woman is socially out, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, she comes to the well. I'll just explain a bit the, of that now. It, it, at, coming at noon to the well is an odd thing. right? This is one of those daily chores you do, like doing the laundry, where, where you, you do it early in the morning to get out of the way before it's hot. Right? So the, the group of girls or ladies in the town would all go out to the well together at, at first light and go get the water for the day. This woman is by herself at noon, and that's because of her social situation. She's had five husbands. She, she's culturally ostracized because of her past. She's socially out in a way that Nicodemus was the exact opposite. Nicodemus is he's on the Sanhedrin. He's, he's well-known. His reputation is, is excellent. This woman's reputation is besmirched badly. Uh, he is upright. She is immoral. Uh, he's a Jew. She is a Samaritan. Huge contrast here, and Jesus speaks to both. Uh, notice. So, uh, what is this woman's need? Well, she needs the truth. As a Samaritan, she's not uh, understanding the truth properly. We see that later on in around verses 23, 22. Uh, but she also has a need for true satisfaction, not in earthly things. Right? She's been with five men. She's on her sixth now, and they aren't married. They're living together, something which, by the way, is completely normal in the world today. But the Christian should remain grieved at this, uh, to carry on a relationship with no acknowledgement that God is the Lord of it, no commitment to each other as designed from the beginning with Adam and Eve in marriage. This woman is looking for ultimate meaning and satisfaction in the arms of a man, and she won't find it there. She's tried six times now. So this woman is dry. And maybe now you see where I'm going, picking with all the the scripture texts that we've gone to today. Isaiah 12, draw water from the wells of salvation with joy. Psalm 63, I I long for you as, as 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 one who's in a dry land. This woman is dry. I think also of Ezekiel's bones, right? Can, can anybody put these bones together? In that they're very dry, Ezekiel 37 says. Well, God knows. Maybe God can do that. Yes, no matter how far away from God you feel, uh, no matter how many uh, times you've sinned and messed up, no matter how messy your taco is, 
God brings you all the way into his love and his care. He sits with you in the heat of the day at the well, speaking with you and offering you water and life. So what is your need that's pressing? Well, we see this woman's need. What is your need that tends to become an idol? And there are several of them, options, of course. Maybe your, your need is for other people to like you, to think that you are wise. Maybe your needs are, are more physical in nature. Maybe you're prone to indulge your physical desires, like food or pleasure or rest. Maybe it's a need that you've got to have the latest gadget that's out there. Maybe you need to keep up with the world. Whatever the need is that, that, that's pressing for you, we have to watch out for that. And, and Jesus, and we need to realize that those kinds of things aren't going to satisfy in the end. This woman acknowledges that when she says, give me this living water so I don't have to keep coming back here. She begins to admit that she does have a need. You and I are thirsty for God. We're thirsty for meaning and for purpose. And Jesus points her to her need. He, we sing the song, Jesus, what a friend of sinners. That's what we have here in Jesus, a friend to this woman. Notice that he does not uh, condemn her and he does not affirm her. Uh, neither one, uh, in a way, articulated with lots of words, right? The world gets this wrong today. It assumes that if we don't affirm their lifestyle, then we're condemning it, right? But I'm uh, fairly convinced it doesn't have to be one or the other. Uh, too often we think we react against, right? The, the um, immoral lifestyle, if we don't celebrate that, then they condemn us. So in response, we feel like we need to explicitly articulate and condemn that lifestyle. Well, it is, uh, if it's sin, it's sin. That needs to be said at some point. But, we don't, but notice Jesus' manner of uh, in interaction here. Uh, she admits her need in verse 15. Sir, give me this water uh, now that I won't be thirsty. And, and so Jesus, in a rather roundabout way, says, comes around to her lifestyle, right? Go call your husband. Well, she evades at this point. But he presses with the truth. All right, verse 18. You, you've had five husbands. The one you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. So Jesus speaks the truth, right? And the world takes that as condemnation. But she evades again, and he doesn't press. And this, I think, is the important point. Jesus does not say at this point, hey, would you stop talking about Jerusalem? You're living with this guy. Admit it. Stop it. Right? We often want to go a few steps further in the condemnation. But the point has been registered. She knows. And Jesus knows that she knows. This is important, I think, in, in interacting uh, on, in spiritual conversations. You don't have to win the whole argument. You don't have, a, have to achieve total verbal surrender from the other side in one encounter. You're dealing with sinners here who are deceived, who don't think they're sinners, who won't admit their sin often. And we're all like that at some level. We don't want to look at our sin. We don't want to admit that's there. But Jesus is kind. He spells it out for us. He shows us who we are. He speaks truth, and he does so in a gentle, careful way. Uh, I've, on occasion, I've listened to Alistair Begg's sermons. Uh, he tell, he's a big golfer, 
and he tells a story. Uh, he, he uses golf as something of an outreach. He'll just go golfing and uh, team up with whoever happens to be there. Uh, so he got in, into a, a crowd that was a group of businessmen, and the language is a little bit crude for the first four or five holes of golf. And it got more and more profane and vulgar. And finally, around hole six, they ask him, they turn to him and say, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm a pastor, he says. Oh, how's that line of work, they say, awkwardly. Well, yeah, and, he, and he comes at it like this. He says, well, there's always a market for it. There's plenty of sinners out there. Present company excluded, of course, he says, half-jokingly. You see the tongue-in-cheek, the indirect approach. It's the same thing Jesus does here, I think, by bringing up living water. You need water. You, you need to be satisfied. Right? It, it, he's convicting her of sin, but without beating her over the head with it. Right? By saying, yeah, there's lots of sinners out there, right after they've done something they know is wrong. And then he playfully takes it back. Oh, I'm sure none of you are, are that way, right? So Beg says one guy comes back to him later, around hole 15, uh, kind of mad. And he says, hey, I didn't like what you said about me back there, calling me a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Right? So he's been convicted of sin. He, he got done what needed to be done to say that wasn't good language there, but you, you don't just come out and say it that way. You, you see the point. There's, there's a certain way of uh, speaking the truth uh, that is uh, more winsome but still convicting. That's, that's important. So you see, with, without knowing your need, uh, without knowing that you've got idols in your heart that make you a taco, that mess you up, uh, all the correct knowledge about Jesus and the living water won't get you anywhere. Conviction of sin is required. That's important. I've done plenty of counseling and, and conversation in my dozen or so years of pastoring. And I can tell you, far more people think that they have it together and that they are wise in their own eyes. Few people seek counsel or admit that they're messed up. Maybe, maybe that's an optical illusion on my part. and They're just not coming to me with it. That may be. But put it this way. What do you expect when you come to church? Are you looking for answers? Or are you looking for people to give your answers to? Or have you identified your own needs and your flaws and your lack, and you're praying to God to meet them through his people today? Now, of course, it should be a mix. There should be some people that you help, and there should be other people that help you. Right? That's how it should be in the body of Christ. But it's easier to see... Uh, other people's flaws and how you can fix other people, usually, right? Don't be wise in your own eyes, Proverbs 3 says. So this woman's need, Jesus is pointing to this woman's need. He's doing so uh, carefully, but also incisively. He gets right to the root of the matter. We need to see our place in the story as, as the woman, not just as Jesus. We have uh, this need. We have uh, a messy past that needs uh, forgiving. And so uh, we come to Jesus, and, and he offers the gift of God, he offers water, and he offers worship. And that's the last point. We'll stop with those uh, three things as we explain those three. So how does Jesus treat such a person, this woman, this spiritually dry, isolated, immoral, Samaritan woman? Isaiah 42, again, gives us the answer. I've mentioned that the last two weeks, I think. A bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. That well describes this woman. And Jesus is ready to give mercy, to be gentle. 
He's not averse to revealing himself to great sinners. The last verse of our text, verse 26, we have the most direct assertion so far in the Gospel of John that Jesus is the Messiah. And he reveals it not to Nicodemus, the Sanhedrin member, but to this immoral Samaritan woman. She needs to know three things. The gift of God, living water, and how to come to the Father. So start in verse 10, where Jesus begins turning the conversation in a spiritual direction. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. He's talking about himself there. Jesus is the gift of God. In the last chapter, in the most famous verse of the Bible, John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus is the gift. If you knew who's talking to you right now, so when it says the gift of God and who is speaking with you, that and isn't, saying, isn't adding some, somebody else. It's restating, right? If you knew the gift of God, that's me, and who's talking to you, me, that's the point of verse 10 there. Jesus is the gift of God. But what's the water? Verse 13 and 14 of our text. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water I give him will never be thirsty forever. The water I give will become in him a well, spring of water welling up to eternal life. What is this water? We often assume, wrongly I think, that it's Jesus. But Jesus isn't the water. I may be mistaken, but I'm fairly sure there's nowhere in the Bible that it ever says Jesus is living water. Jesus isn't the water. John 7 tells us that Jesus offers at the last great day of the feast, whoever's thirsty, come to me and drink. But he's not talking about himself. John 7, verse 39 says he's talking about the Spirit who's going to be given. So, uh, so there's some fascinating uh, connections in the, in the Bible about that. The gift of God, God give, uh, the Father gives the Son, and the Son then gives us the Spirit, right? Uh, when Israel was in the desert, remember the rock that followed them was Christ, 1 Corinthians 10 says. And what came from the rock? Water. What comes from Jesus, the rock, the water of the Spirit? Moses struck the rock in anger, just like the Sanhedrin will crucify Jesus out of envy. But all the benefit that flows from that, from that sinful act, water to God's people. Jesus' gift is way better than worldly things. And so Jesus offers this woman the gift of God himself and the spirit flowing from him that will be springs of water, never be thirsty again. So how to come to the Father then? Verses 19 and 20 is where we'll conclude. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You say that in Jerusalem is the place. Is she evading Jesus' conviction of sin here? Very possibly. Yeah, he's just said, you've had five husbands. The, one, the guy you're with now, you're not married to. And she quickly changes the subject. Well, let's talk some theology. Right? That, that may be that she's evading Jesus' conviction. Or maybe she is genuinely asking where to go to get true forgiveness. Maybe she's convicted of her sin, and she wants to know, oh, okay, I've, I've sinned. I want to offer a sacrifice of, of repentance to the Lord. Do I go to Mount Gerizim, where I've always gone for, as a Samaritan? Or do I go to Jerusalem to do this? Maybe she's genuinely uh, repentant. It seems that she is, given the rest of the chapter that we'll get to next time. Jesus, again, gives, uh, gives an answer 
he, he doesn't hold back uh, in being winsome and gentle with this woman. He doesn't hold back any truth from her. Right? There's this big dispute between the Jews and the Samaritans. Which mountain are we supposed to worship on? How do we worship? And Jesus gives her the, the, the right answer. Jerusalem. That, that's where we're supposed to be. Salvation is from the Jews. Speaking there again of himself, by the way. But uh, there's a right answer. But it doesn't leave the Samaritans without hope of salvation. He, he speaks the answer and welcomes her, invites her to that. Uh, the rest of, uh, we don't have enough time to look at this, but verses 23 to 25, uh, the hour is coming and we'll worship the Father in spirit and in truth, right? Uh, Jesus here is talking about a formal worship alone uh, not being uh, the thing. You can't just cry, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. I, I've been sacrificing to you. I've, I've been worshiping you faithfully every week for all these years. There's, no, there's nothing God owes us for having done that. We're not earning anything there. Formal worship alone, by itself, apart from a heart that's devoted to God, is useless. And Jesus says so many times in the Gospels. Now again, there is a right answer to those things. And we believe we have some of those answers. Again, I'd point to one of our new books in the book table. It's called Sunday Mornings. Uh, that's a, a good explanation of why we're worshiping the way we are. That's important. There's biblical principles in there. But you could worship on the right mountain without the right heart. And you could be a Samaritan and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. The hour is coming. It's already here. When you don't have to go to Jerusalem. The Father comes to you. He sends Jesus to you. Here's the Messiah sitting right in front of her. It used to be, go attach yourself to the nation of Israel. And that's what this woman is asking. Is that what I'm supposed to do? You're a Jew, I'll ask you. Well, now, now no longer. Now it's, it's come to Jesus and receive the water that he gives. You don't have to be in just the right place. You don't have to be in just the right atmosphere. Sometimes we try to make our circumstances such that we'll have a peaceful, spiritual time with the Lord, right? Uh, a peaceful, quiet time to commune with God. Uh, the, no, th this woman is doing the dishes. She's doing the laundry. She's doing one of those mundane daily chores in the heat of the day. And she runs smack into Jesus Christ, the Messiah. I, I, there have been weeks. Uh, I, you know, We all have those times where we're pursuing uh, rich time with the Lord, and it doesn't seem to be happening. If you've had those times, I've, I've had those times. There have been weeks I've, I've sought that, and I've, and I've found my richest time with the Lord, not in my study with all my books, not in my living room with my family, but on a, on a Saturday morning hot at, at some soccer games in a camping chair in a church parking lot between two parked cars. You know, and, and something just comes to me. All it takes is sending your thoughts and your heart to your Savior. All it takes is the Spirit moving your heart to seek Him. We need to be praying for this because that's the water that Jesus sends us. The Father reveals His Son to you by His Spirit. And He's here now, pleading through me. Admit that you are messed up, that you are spiritually dry. Jesus tasted these needs for us and He saves you from it. He takes on uh, that burden for you. The water of life is freely available through Jesus. All you have to do is ask. It, it, this reminds me of uh, 
think I mentioned Brian Regan before. He's one of my favorite comedians. I'm going to give you a bit more of Brian Regan this morning. He does this uh, routine where uh, you're sitting at the restaurant, and people have a funny way of asking for water, he says. So humbly, deferentially, somebody will say, is there any way that I could get a glass of water? And the waiter, full of irony, says, oh, I'm sorry, there is no way. I toss and turn many a night, but I can't come up with a way to think of how to put the water in the glass. It's something to do with a faucet turning. I don't know. Legend has it there was a waiter long ago who knew a way to put, give you water. I, I just can't put the pieces together. Oh, if only there was a way. You got the same irony there with, with this woman at the well with Jesus, right? She's asking, are you greater than Jacob? Is there any way, Jesus, that you could quench my thirst? Oh, I don't know. I've only been racking my brain an eternity on that one. Jesus says, I might have a plan. <laughs> yes, Jesus has a plan. The water of life is freely available through the work of Christ on the cross for you and for me and for the world. So come to that water. Come to that water. One last point. I thought I was done, but I noticed I had one. I hate doing that to you, but this is important. Uh, there are moments in the Bible where you have uh, repeated themes, and this is one of those. Uh, my kids like to do this on the Indiana Jones movies. Uh, every now and then he'll fall off a cliff. You know, you know how the, the scene goes, right? He f falls off the cliff, but he's actually hanging on underneath. And my kids always say, cue the hand. Right? The, the hand's going to show up in a second. Oh, he's there. It's that, that kind of scene, it comes up all the time. Well, in the Bible, there are certain scenes that come up all the time. Right? And here's one of them. Whenever you find a man at a well, then you can say, cue the woman. There's going to be a woman who shows up next. Right? Jacob met his wife at a well. Moses met his wife at a well. And here we have Jesus at a well who meets this Samaritan woman. It fits in the theme with uh, the church being the bride of Christ. Right? That's what's going on here. Remember, this woman is on her sixth man. Remember the symbolism of six and seven. Jesus is the seventh. He's the perfect husband. That, that, I know that seems kind of strange. That number stuff kind of weirds us out sometimes. But it's all over the Bible. Uh, Matthew's genealogy of Jesus has it as well. From Abraham to Jesus, there's three sets of 14 generations. That's six sevens. Jesus is the next one. He's the seventh seven, Matthew says. Well, the point of the symbolism here is that Jesus is the perfect man. He's the one who will meet the need. And we are this woman. We're the messed up taco, looking for love in all the wrong places. But Jesus will meet your needs. He's the waiter at the table who knows exactly how to get you that water, how to set a feast for your soul, how to remove the guilt and shame from your sins, how to give you his spirit, how to bring you to the Father. People of God, Jesus gives water for our thirsty souls. Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks uh, for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that it gives to us, where we see uh, people extremely uh, sinful in their past, people like King Manasseh, people who uh, continue on and on in their sin, and the sin worsens and worsens until they're killing their children out of convenience or idolatry. 
Lord God, this reflects our society so clearly. And yet, you continue to offer your forgiveness and your grace. Sometimes it astounds us, sometimes it scandalizes us that you would offer grace to such people. But Lord, uh, who are we to condemn when we also have sinned? Lord, turn our hearts back to you in uh, a contrite posture, remembering uh, your great grace, your holiness, which we have transgressed. Lord God, we are thankful for your great mercy. Let us come to the water. Let us receive the drink that only you have, that we need to live. Provide for us, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. And we also offer up uh, uh, prayers in the, the, the name of Jesus. And we offer the prayer that he taught us to pray as we sing. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.